Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to this edition of Christ in Prophecy. We're coming to you tonight from a very unusual venue, that being Forney First Baptist Church, where we're holding our 2022 annual Bible conference. And we have a very special guest tonight. I say we because I'm joined by our founder, Dr. David Reagan, the man who started Lamb and Lion Ministries and has been such a blessing to so many of us for all these years. Dave, I'm so glad you're here with us. Well, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I think we need to get you back more often, but tonight, because we both have a passion for talking about the Christian perspective on politics, we've invited a very special guest, and that is Jeannie Nigro, who's written a book called The Lies We Believe About Faith and Politics, the way forward. Miss Jeannie, thank you for joining us Thanks on for Christ me. and Prophecy. It's my favorite ministry to work with. My third time here, you know? Third I time's know. a charm. Tell us a little bit about your own background and how you became passionate about politics, especially here in America. Mm. Well, my background really spans the corporate world and ministry world and now the political world. So I worked for about 20 years in organizational change management consulting and then um, formed. Jeannie Nigro Ministries, a, a nonprofit, which is primarily a teaching ministry, and that's when I was on with you, David, before we're talking about the deception of the Third Temple and the significance of the uh, red heifer. Mm. And so I was speaking uh, quite a bit on intimacy with God and uh, end times and biblical feasts and millennium, things like that. And I um, actually, what happened was I, I attended the inauguration in January of 17 and felt really called to DC. And, and I didn't know anyone there, and I said, Lord, if you want me to be here, then open up the doors. And he did, and I started ministering there and teaching regularly in D.C. and getting involved in intercessory prayer and uh, on the radio there. And then I uh, was selected for this program to raise, that was raised basically the D. James Kennedy uh, Statesman Program, that was raising up Christian Congress people. And I thought, well, I'll just go on to learn more about the Constitution. I'll just go through this. And, and through it, really, and this is much of what we'll talk about tonight, is... Uh, Seeing that the battle, because I never saw myself as political at all. You know, I'm in ministry. I'm spiritual things, not political. And I really saw that the political battle was a spiritual battle. Mm. And I thought, well, this is, I'm in this to fight for God. And that's why I ran for Congress in New York. Well, Dave, you actually have a background in running for office, too. Some of our viewers may not know that. Tell us about your own political foray. Well, in uh, 1972, I decided to run for Congress in a district in North uh, Texas. And uh, I had been running for about three or four months and everything was going great. And then one day I turned on the radio and they said a federal judge had just thrown out all the congressional districts in Texas oh. and they had redrawn them. And I was in a district with Wright Patman who was the senior member of Congress at that time. So I decided I would pull out of the race. <laughs> But at that point, the leaders of the Republican Party in Texas came to me and said, uh, we want you to run for governor. And mm. I said, well, now wait a minute, wait a minute. They said, we will supply all the money. We will supply all the backing. We want you to run. So I finally agreed to do that in 1972. And uh, that uh, was quite an experience that I uh, 
I learned a lot about politics and it wasn't all good. And uh, I had a call from Senator John Tower, who was a U.S. Senator at that time. He asked me to come down to Austin, Texas to meet with him. And I went down there and he said, David, I appreciate you running for governor. But he said, I'm running for re-election as U.S. Senator. And it's going to be the toughest race I've ever been in. I've got to have every dollar there is. And so I've put out the word, give no money to you whatsoever. You are cut off. The spigot is dry. He said, I just want to tell you personally. <laughs> but good luck, right? That was my introduction to politics. The other introduction was the day I, uh, when I was still running for Congress, I went to a man to talk to him about making a donation. And he said, after a while, he said, well, you have really impressed me and I'm going to make a donation. He pulls out a drawer. He gets a manila envelope out. He counts out $5,000. And he said, there's 5000 I said, well, thank you very much. He said, but there is one condition. You must not report that I gave this money. He said, well, I said, who am mm-hmm. I supposed to report? He said, what, your, your brother, your sister, your uncle, your wife? I said, I can't do that. He said, then you can't have the 5000 because if you lose, that congressman is going to come after me, and I don't want my name on the list. That was my introduction to politics. Well, as you all know, my introduction to politics was running and miraculously winning a state legislative seat in Kentucky, serving for 13 years, and it made me realize firsthand that while we have a responsibility to be engaged, as I've already indicated, in every sphere of human endeavor, that our hope is not in the political realm. Our only hope is in the blessed hope, and that is Jesus Christ. But, you know, Jenny, talking about your book in particular, mm-hmm. you say that some Christians read passages like John 18:36, where Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, but now my kingdom is from another place. And they say, well, see, we shouldn't even be involved in anything Mm -hmm. secular or worldly, especially politics. And so they kind of remove themselves Mm -hmm. from the entire process. How are we missing out if we do that? Well, I think, you know, if we look at all of Scripture, the whole, I mean, I believe in that particular Scripture, Jesus is really talking about the millennial kingdom in a sense that his kingdom, when he returns, will be on earth and we'll be ruling and reigning with him and implementing righteousness and we'll finally have a perfect government, right, a perfect leader. But in the meantime, much in in many times in in the parables, Jesus is talking about things like the wicked servant, you know, the one who hid their talents, who hid what was given to them. And until he returned, and I don't want to be called a wicked servant when Jesus returns. So I think there's many places in Scripture where we're called to righteousness, obviously. And if we see this as a, um, a spiritual battle, it, politics, and that we're called to advance righteousness to um, the things that are in God's heart, freedom and life and, and um, individual choice and so forth, then we see that we, we do have a responsibility. You know, if, we're not, if the church isn't called into, to do spiritual battle, then what are we called for? Mm. You know, what are we doing here? Amen. I think that uh, in modern history, the problem has been that the church has gone too far in that extreme and begun to preach only the social gospel and not the true Mm. gospel, and have really uh, said that the basic purpose of the church is political and to get out there and change society and do this and that or whatever in politics. And we're even finding that today as there are churches all across this nation who are publicly advancing abortion, same-sex marriage, every, every abomination known to man, they are advancing it. Mm-hmm. That's their political realm. They, they have the social gospel. We're going to be saved by making society better, not by bringing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, I think that sometimes as followers of Christ, we're told to be salt and light in every sphere, but people say, well, that's everything but politics. No, that's that's every Every sphere. sphere. You and I, Jeannie, as we were talking before, Mm -hmm. both, uh, I think, 
resonate with what Abraham Kuyper said. He was the Prime Minister of the Netherlands back at the turn of the last century, and he said there is not one square inch of the whole creation over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And certainly he is sovereign over all, and so that salt and light should apply in every sphere. But you said it's actually a gospel mandate to try to share the truth revealed in scripture, even in the political sphere. Absolutely, and we think about what's going on now, especially in, in politics. We have all branches of government, executive, judicial, legislative, and school boards mm. legislating morality, imparting or really um, mandating evil and immorality. And so we're called, you know, the, the scripture tells us that if we see good that is to be done and we don't do it, it's sin. And so we, when we see this, when we see evil being mandated, when we see it being legislated and so forth, we're called to do something about it, to, you know, to stand against that, to make a, a, you know, to make, we have so many avenues now with technology, with email, with, with texting, with all these things to make a difference, to make our voices known, to stand up and say, you know, no, this is evil. And one, one point church, you just yeah. made, I made there that I'd like to add to. Absolutely. And that is that it's very interesting that every time a Christian speaks up about we need legislation concerning this or that, immediately they're condemned by saying you can't legislate morality. Yet mm -hmm. the other that's side right. is legislating their that's morality. That's exactly what they're doing. Exactly right. Or it's hate speech. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's the way, that's yeah, everybody tactic. legislates from some position, but uh, yeah. those who reject a biblical worldview, which we're going to talk about in an upcoming uh, mm -hmm. edition of our Lamplighter magazine, really have a different worldview that they're legislating their own morality or maybe no morality whatsoever. Well, so obviously we have examples like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who at great personal expense tried to impact his society. Dr. Reagan and I have talked many times about how the prophets of old came over and over again to, to call out to the king. In other words, they were engaged politically. Mm -hmm. They weren't involved in a, an electoral process, but they were trying to impact those who were the leaders of a nation. And we have not only a, a privilege, a right as citizens of this country at least, but dare we say a responsibility to do the same. In this country, we the people. Right, our sovereign. So if we are, in a sense, you know, we're, we're responsible for stewarding the government, even though it may not work as it was originally planned to do, but still that was the, the plan. So we're, I believe we're responsible to God, you know, for how we steward what we've been given in this nation. And when we, I just like to take it simple in the book of, you know, what does God stand for? What's on God's heart? You know, life, truth, freedom, righteousness, um, individual, he's made us all as individuals. He cares about each one of us. He's made us each have a purpose. You know, and he has choice. We have a choice whether to accept him or not. So choice is important. Free choice is important to God. And so in government, why did he, why did he um, even create government? It was to protect the innocent from evil and to punish those who do harm. Well, we, what we see now is the complete opposite yes. of protecting those who do evil and punishing those who are innocent. Throughout the years, I have spoken out many, many times about problems, moral problems primarily, in our society, criticizing both Republicans and Democrats, both Republican presidents and Democrat presidents. And I get a lot of hate mail from people who say, you should only talk about the gospel. You are a minister called to God. You shouldn't be talking about anything related to society. And I said, have you ever read the Old Testament prophets? I mean, these were people who, uh, John the Baptist was killed because he condemned 
the, the marriage of the, uh, of the king at that time. Or the other criticism you have gotten and we have gotten is when we call out a person's favorite politician, uh-huh. shall we say, and well, you can't be criticizing them. And I try to remind folks, you know, Nathan came and had words for King David, and King David is still a revered king in Jewish history. That's right. But when he erred, God sent a prophet to call him out. We are following in the footsteps of those right. who declare truth to power throughout the Word of God. Yes. Thirty years after the end of the Cold War with the Soviet Union, thinking that the United States and Western values had defeated communism and socialism, the West is... is driving down the road toward becoming socialistic, Mm -hmm. even in our society. Many young people don't understand the the perils of socialism. How can our country, which was founded on freedom and liberty, but on biblical principles, be flirting with and rushing headlong toward socialism? Well, there's many reasons for that. I think one of the primary reasons, and that's what I I talk about a lot in the book, is this whole idea of what I call fair and caring, that... um, Policies that they're, they're um, put out there, they're messaged as being fair and caring. Or socialism is so much more fair and caring. You know, there's equity. Everybody's equal. It's, it's so much nicer. And, and, hey, we're Christians. We should be supporting this because wasn't Jesus nice? You know, wasn't he fair and caring? And they, that's where the deception happens. Because obviously, yes, Jesus was fair and caring. He was also holy and honest and, and truth and, and righteousness and justice and, and all those things. And so I think we need to really step and say, wait a minute, what is the fruit of these policies? If it's socialism, what is the fruit of that? Mm. And, and these policies that bring death, well, that's not of God. You know, death is, or God is not going to endorse, because it's almost, the, as I explained in the book, it goes to say, like, Jesus endorses socialism. It's like, is, does he endorse something that brings death to our society in every way, you know, economically, um, yeah. relationally, emotionally. Just look at the socialist nations and well, the people starving to death. I have a hard time. I have to really confess sometimes. I wanted to just say to people, then move there. <laughs> you know, move to Cuba or Venezuela. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, have a great time because look at the fruit. There, I've, there even is, had, I've even there had people write no to fruit. me and say, how can you criticize, now these Christians, how can you criticize socialism when the Early church practiced socialism. And I've heard that over and over. And the point I always make is that is not socialism. That uh, socialism is where they put a gun to your head and say, you're going to give so much money to this person over here, whether you like it or not. The early church was not practicing socialism, it was practicing a communal situation where people were helping each other of their own free will. Thank you so much. They use that one scripture, and that's what we find so much in this deception in this political realm, to pull one scripture and then build this whole thing. Theology. This is who. Well, what about what Jesus said about the, all these other things? Yeah. You know, but in that, that, in that um, the early church, it was voluntary. It was never mandated, and it wasn't for the purpose of a dictator becoming wealthy. <laughs> you know, it right. was not. So now that's something I've noticed about socialism. Is it seems like it's always the people at the top are very wealthy. Yes, they are. So <laughs> how is that equitable to everyone? Anyway, so it's, it's a deception. But Margaret Thatcher put it best. It's There's not enough money in the world. To sponsor socialism. No, there's not. You just run out of money sooner or later. Well, you also make a point in here. There's a name that many people had not heard of until recent years, and that was a a writer, kind of a a strategist, if you will, named Saul Alinsky, Mm. who came up with 13 rules for radicals. It was cited by several uh, Democratic 
candidates and even presidents as being inspirational to them. Saul Alinsky dedicated his book to the first radical, the first rebel, that being Satan. And yet the fruit that is produced by some of the the ideas that he proposed, and we're not picking out any party per se, but we're just saying that the ideas that he uh, proposed and propagated and have now infected our entire society are producing very evil fruit and yet the mainstream media, as we would call it, mm-hmm. is all about promoting those very mm-hmm. ideas today. Absolutely. It's all uh, this um, hatred, you know, division. What's the fruit of, of what we see in the media? It's usually division, you know, hatred, um, destruction, death of some form, just death of the family, death of our, our bodies. You know, there, I was just reading about how there's going towards synthetic foods, you know, and, and so when you think about all these policies and, and ideas, just to take a step back and think, does this result in life or death mm. to our bodies, to our relationships, to our families. You're mutilating our bodies, mutilating children's bodies so that they can change. You know, is that, obviously that's death. It all leads to death. And, and that's where I think we have to just keep it almost simple mm. of you know, what is, <laughs> these policies result in life and these result in death. And, and you know, God is a God of life and Satan Amen. brings death. And it's, it's that does. simple. So as a a person who served in the military for 34 years, I have a son who's in there now, and I've been patriotic in the sense of believing in the ideals of this country, if not always the reality of living up to those ideals. But can you be a patriot? Can you be a Christian nationalist? Or is this a term we should shun as believers and followers, first and foremost, of Jesus Christ? Well, I think with the term Christian nationalist, the first thing that we have to do is define what does that mean? Because people are using it, but with many different definitions. Yes, they are. And one of the ones that I read was that they were a danger to our democracy, danger to our country. And I thought, okay, so supporting the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence is a threat. Well, a threat to what? Threat to socialism, right? A threat yes. to communism. So I think we have to um, really ask whoever is speaking, what is the definition of that? But to me, it, there's this balance that we, the, the biblical, the, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution were built on biblical principles of freedom, of life, of individual um, worth, of, of, you know, of a, having potential, having God-given purpose. And so we want to support those things. We want to support candidates who support those things. But at the same time, we can't expect that, oh, if we can just take our nation back to exactly how it was in the 1700s, then we'll be okay. It's like, well, mm. that doesn't really line up with a biblical end times narrative. You know, so I think we have to have this balance of, um, of you know, having, wanting to um, implement righteousness, wanting to stand for you know, life and truth and all those things, and, but then also recognize what is the biblical, that we're going to be talking about this weekend, but what is the biblical end times narrative? And, and knowing that there's this balance of things are going to be better in some ways and they're going to get worse in some ways. And so we're not going to be able to almost, I, I always call it because I love to, to study and teach on the millennium, but I always say, you know, we're not in the millennium yet. So by you know, electing the right candidate or by um, almost having our founding fathers back again, we're not really going to have the millennium yet. You know, we can't create that here on earth at Only this time. God's and when Jesus comes back. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Well, I was just going to say that um, one of the major criticisms of those of us who have the viewpoint of eschatology that we do, and I hear it all the time, is that th- you folks are just focused on heaven 
you're not interested in what's going on in your society, and you're doing nothing about it, and you're just escapist looking for the day of the rapture, and you're virtually no good when it comes to civic matters. Yeah. And I always respond to that by saying, have you ever heard of the fellow who founded Liberty University and formed a moral majority in this country and he held our view of, of end times? Have you ever heard of Tim LaHaye who did the same thing, was one of the founders of the moral majority, of his wife who founded one of the most important uh, uh, women's organizations in America that was fighting for uh, justice and righteousness? This is just a lie. I, I look for the Lord to come any day. I'm, I'm, I'm eternally oriented. But at the same time, I am concerned about our society. And Jesus said we're to stand for righteousness. And if we don't stand for righteousness, nobody's going to stand That's for right. righteousness. That's exactly and right. People write me and say, well, how do I do that? I say, well, get on your knees and pray and ask sure. God to put, a, put an issue on your heart. Because you can't fight everything. It may be mm -hmm. homosexuality. It may be women who are pregnant outside of marriage. It, it could be a lot of different things. Have God put the issue on your heart. Then number two, ask Him, what do you want me to do about it? With regard to helping people who are, are uh, pregnant out of marriage, there's many things you can do. You can, go out, you can d demonstrate in front of a, an abortion uh, uh, off, uh, Clinic, uh, factory. Yes. Or yes. You, can, you can write letters to the editor. Or you can run for office. There's so many different you things. God talk. doesn't call everybody to do the same thing. Exactly right. You know, but God does call yeah. even those who are living in pagan lands. I always go back to Jeremiah 29 when Jeremiah, this prophet of doom, said, even while you're living in exile in a pagan land, continue to invest in that society. Raise your families, grow your, your crops, and seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you, even into exile, and pray the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. We are not to check out of the world, we are to be engaged. And yet some, again, just want to relinquish this realm of human endeavor to oblivion. Yes. You say on page 95 of your book, <laughs> uh -oh. and we're coming up on an election, so <laughs> this is why it's timing, timely, you say to choose not to vote mm -hmm. is actually a sin because voting is our God-given duty That's as right. citizens right. of this republic. You cite James 4.17, which says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Have I just summed up the position? What else can you add? <laughs> yeah. That's the least we can do is vote. I mean, everybody can vote. We're responsible as citizens of this nation to vote. And, and I actually have, if you, on the, the last chapter is the action plan where I, I give a list of things that people can do for each of these chapters. And I even have lines like, just pick even one do. thing. If there's one thing that you can do. And, and it's amazing, especially with, like I said, with technology, it's so easy to, to email or to text or yes, to, to, to donate or to knock on doors for someone or whatever. Many people who call themselves conservatives in America are conservatives on financial issues. But mm. when it comes to moral issues, right. they are not conservative. That's right. I just got through uh, sending a red-hot uh, email to Fox News for mm -hmm. the fact that all through the month of June, Fox News, for the first time ever, started putting on ads celebrating homosexuality in America. And I wrote them and said, why, why, why do you call yourself conservative if you are promoting the sexual perversion movement? 
I, I, I just got through writing them another one because they just got through having, they're having a, a concert every day by a different musical group. They had a group on that was so vulgar, it was absolutely unbelievable they even had it on TV. And I wrote them and said, Why, you know, you're supposed to be a conservative organization. Why do you do this? I don't ever get an answer. That's an excellent point, but very different. Because when I first started going to a lot of things in D.C., I was shocked because I just thought, I was naive that everybody thought like me if they were conservative. And I realized it's fiscal, not moral. That's right. Many, many times. Many, many times. So if we proclaim, as we do, that the world is only going to grow darker, what is the hope in voting, for instance, in this upcoming election? Every two years we have the opportunity to vote. Is there a perfect candidate or a perfect outcome? Will there be a, a... world-changing, cataclysmic election where we can finally say, all right, we've won and move on. What's the point if the world's going to grow darker and darker? Yeah. And I think there's a deception in believing that, oh, the, the, if, I just, if we just vote for this one candidate, then everything's going to be okay, because that's not biblical, because we no. know that things are going to get darker. But we also know that we are, you know, there's not a surprise. It's not a mistake to God that we're here right now. It's not a surprise to God. It's like, well, you, I had this amazing plan for your life, Tim, but then, you know, things went... Are you know getting darker in the world and saying so now, oops, sorry, sorry. Yeah. you just got to wait till I come back and do nothing. No, you, we, you, you were born for this specific time to be here and to to if how are we going to we have to partner with him to release what he wants to do in this world and advance his righteousness and truth and so forth, or else there will be no light. The illustration of how important voting is. Look at the appointments that Trump made to the Supreme Court. What if somebody else had been in that position? Oh my. And, and a look at the appointment that's just been made of a woman who can't even define what a woman is. Mm-hmm. I think it's important that we always remind people, and I, I would, when I ran for office, uh, I was very clear. I'm a Christian, I'm a conservative, and then I'm of a particular party, but in that order. I'm a Christian first and foremost. And I, I was upfront about that. But I told people, if I haven't disappointed you yet, you just haven't known me long enough. <laughs> Ask my wife, she'll tell you. And she's known me a long time. Many disappointments. But, you know, whether it's King David, whether it's name your favorite president, all of them disappoint us. You know, Ronald Reagan is one of my favorite presidents of my lifetime, but Ronald Reagan expanded abortion in California, which became a bellwether for the nation. He didn't intend for that to happen, but the point is all candidates, every man and woman will will fall short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect, but in every election there is a choice. I'm always reminded of a a democracy like India. We may have Indian viewers today who are given a choice between a Muslim and a Hindu. Should Christians vote? Well, certainly they should. They should vote for the candidate who most accurately reflects biblical values or at least will respect Christians' freedom to worship God in the manner that he's called them to. And, And you should do as much good as you can in whatever society, including our own. And I shared in the book as well, just from my experience in D.C., that politics... And I knew many, many Christians in politics, but politics, just by the nature of how it's designed, really brings out the worst in people. And so I, f- I emphasize that everyone is going to let you down, no matter who it is. When they get in that realm, there's, there's so much emphasis on, um, on raising money. How can you, you know, and so there's just, it's almost like the system itself brings out the worst and said, so we have to pray for these people that are, that have chosen to, because I think they have the best intentions often and they get in the system and it's, it's just, the system is not designed biblically. And so we've got to pray for them, give them that grace that they're even doing it. Cause it's like, would you do it? You know, you did it, but you know, (laughs) talking about Congress and, 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 um, and realize that they're not the Messiah. 
And sometimes I think that we are voting as if we're voting for the Messiah. It's like, no, we're voting for who is going to uphold the Constitution the best. And by doing that, they will implement biblical principles. Well, Jeannie, thank you for coming and sitting down with us today. It's It's been a delight. I hope you'll come back. Dave, always glad to sit down with you, brother, (laughs) and uh, share our You have to come back, too. And I want to thank you for being with us, and I pray God will continue to magnify your voice. Well, as America does anticipate another election this fall, we hope that you, too, will take your responsibility as a follower of Jesus Christ to impact the society in which we live for good, because in its welfare, God will bless us and use us as conduits of blessing. We will be back again next week, so join us for another episode of Christ and Prophecy. Until then, as always, we say look up and be watchful for Jesus Christ, who is coming soon to reign as our King of Kings and Lord of Lords is coming soon. Godspeed. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Bye.